Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. This week, our guest is filmmaker Chad Villella, one of the creatives behind Ready or Not, the 103198 segment of VHS, and the 2022's new installment in the Scream franchise. I'm Erica Berlin, the Executive Director of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. I'm John Lyons, a filmmaker, teaching artist, and director of programming for the Film Society. I'm Mike Berlin, your friendly neighborhood cineast. <laughs> and I'm Chad Villella, the, the subject. Woohoo! Subject. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Thanks for being here, Chad. <laughs> Oh no, guys, thanks so much. For Are we going me. to study you? Are we going to yes. study you, Chad? Please. I feel like I'm in a little fishbowl already with the wall behind me on the on the Zoom link. So yes. Where <laughs> are you? Away. Are you in an office? We're we're in an office. Yeah. We have like a little small production office that we're doing teaming up with like uh there's our ghost face. One of our ghost face. We have like ghost face oh everywhere. Gosh. Um oh with gosh. the Project X guys, the producers on the movie of, of Scream. We're editing out of the out of their back bungalow. Um area and uh it's matt tyler and i just sit in a room and our editor is actually remote so we do her via evercast so it's basically like editing via zoom but the three of us are in the same room so we could have the small side conversations as we're getting through, going through the edit but it, it's so far it's been great it's it's worked out pretty well so the technology um, works good for editing afar technology works really great it, it's really weird not actually ever having met her in person wow. um which is kind of crazy, uh, but but uh, it's it's working out really well. Her team's incredible. Um, her name is Michelle Aller, by the way. She did she she's done a bunch of genre fair. But yeah, no, it's been it's been going really well, and it's nice to have offices that nobody are in because you get to leave your place, you leave your house for a little bit, and uh, and get out into the world, which is rare for us in Los Angeles. Nice. It's still a major <laughs> lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we'll we'll definitely get into all that like shooting um during COVID. Um real quick though, how far are you into the edit? Like how where are you at in your timeline? When did you guys wrap production? So we wrapped production November seventeenth. Um started production September twenty-third. We had forty-one days to shoot. So that was our physical um production schedule. Uh we shot in Wilmington, North Carolina. So I was there from August through November, the day after we wrapped, we came back. Um, so that was nice. It was basically like going to summer camp and making a movie. Uh, and, and that's basically the way we treated it. Uh, since we were all quarantined in the same hotel, us and the the cast, and we took over one of the conference rooms there, put in a pool table, um, beanbag chairs, and a bunch of games. We played with games nonstop when we weren't working, uh, since we were the only people we were allowed to like physically interact with. Um, so wow. it was basically summer camp and we got a movie out of it. Right. Wow. Yeah. And now in the edit process, we are like just finishing up week seven of the director's cut and, uh, we'll show the studio, I believe on the 22nd of February, um, open it up to producers early so we could get their incredible feedback and are actually sitting with Jamie Vanderbilt now, uh, via Evercast. And he's one of the producers on it. He wrote the script. Um, his credits are all over the place from started darkness falls, um, wrote the amazing, uh, sorry, the Spider-Man, Spider-Man two, 
the second one with Andrew with the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man, um, and Zodiac, which is one of our all-time favorite movies. So it's, yeah. it's been fantastic working with him um, and getting his insights and everything. And so that's where we're at in the process. And we just had our music editor come on this week to work in some of the songs and uh, get our sound mix going pretty soon for our temp mix. Um, before we show the studio, but still early stages of it. So we'll probably be in here till April or May. Yeah, because it's not slated till next year, right? Yeah, January 14th of 2022. Is that something that changed due to COVID? um, Or was that always kind of the timeline generally? Yeah, no, it was it was never we never really had a timeline to get into it. Obviously, the first hurdle was getting into physical production because we were supposed to leave at uh, end of March of last year, but that was immediately during the shutdown. And then we kept bumping it back, you know, several weeks at a time, then a couple months at a time being like, will this ever get off the ground? So there was no, no stake in a date at that time. And then after a first couple of weeks of production went successful, they're like, all right, let's, let's just put our stake in this date. It'll be a MLK week weekend. So it'll be a holiday weekend. Uh, hopefully everything will be back up and running by, mid third quarter into the fourth quarter of this year. So people be reacclimated to going to sit in a, a theater. Uh, and it was just, it was just, a, it, it was a good date for it. I think the original screen came out 25 years ago, this coming December, um, oh, wow. which would be December of 96. So we were, we are, we're always trying to get it around the 25 year anniversary. Um, so we missed it by maybe about a month, but with the global pandemic, it's, that's a delay that we'll, we'll take. <laughs> You're forgiven. All right, thank you. Yeah, good. Good. <laughs> now, I read that Kevin Williamson was involved. So, yes. So, so that was a whole process of actually, I'll give you not the long story, but like the medium story about it all. Uh, um, obviously, he had insanely difficult time working with producers that we won't even mention, the Weinsteins, um, that are just incredibly horrible human beings and, you know, should never be talked about again. They should just be erased from memory um, for everybody. So Jamie Vanderbilt had to go and do like pitch him several times like, hey, this property is at this new company called Spyglass Entertainment. They have the rights and we just want to revisit the screen world, but we're not, we won't do it without your blessing. And initially he said no, but Jamie persisted and pitched him his version of the story and told him the team that he was putting in place. And he's like, well, I, I, I like the story. I like what you guys are going for. Cool. I'll be involved. And uh, so once he got his blessing, then then. Basically, the rest of production ramped up. Everybody was on board, and we got his deal done, and that all went well. And uh, last Wednesday, we had our first call with him because we showed him the cut early um, since he saw the movie, and he was he was actually insanely stoked. And Ooh. it was like the the blessing that you want that Kevin Williamson was like enthused about making another screen movie, and he was like, "I guys, like this is a lot of fun. You know, you did it justice." and that was the only blessing that we actually cared about, like getting up to it. Um, yeah, at that point where you just like, ah, like a little weight off the shoulder. It was big. That was like the biggest weight uh, when he said that. And we're like, all right, cool. We're good. Like our last dinner before the COVID shutdown was with Kevin. He's been insanely supportive. He's been thrilled that to be involved, um, you know, because the way it go- goes with corporate structures, you never know like when you're going to get cut out as a creative. Um, but he is he is everything screen. He, he is screen. Like we even like, we're trying to get clips from Dawson's Creek to put, to use in the movie that the characters are watching. Like, you know, we're, we're the biggest Kevin Williamson fans in the world. 
love and adore him, take every word he says to heart, every note he had about the script and, and going to production and even people to hire in Wilmington, North Carolina, like his, his involvement has been paramount and just honestly a dream come true to work with, you know, ever since like I was in going to Mercyhurst college in Erie and I had a poster of Joey on my <laughs> wall in the dorm. I'm like, this is pretty cool. Now I get to work with Kevin Williamson. It's like, it's, it's, it's seriously wild. Oh wow! Um, but he's been incredible and just it, honestly, it's a dream come true working with him. Did you tell him about the poster? Uh, not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> yeah. that, no, I'll, I'll save that for for maybe maybe the premiere party or something like that, and then I'll bring I'll bring it up in a in a weird time. Um, it, but that that was fun. Uh, on the other end of that sort of scream Mount Rushmore, there's Wes Craven. Have you guys done anything to sort of recognize his obvious? monumental contribution i know he's no longer with us oh, without uh, yes definitely without that without question he's there's I, no spoilers but it, it's he's in the movie let's just put it that way in in a whole bunch of different ways in both ways that are very obvious in ways that are hidden in ways that are just complete easter eggs um in production design Wes craven is throughout the movie um so there's different little different layers of where it is with Wes. And, you know, we talked to his widow um, before just to get her blessing, too, to make the movie and, and to, like, we went out to everybody of the initial screen family mm-hmm. um, just to make sure everybody was cool with what we were doing and what we wanted to do with the movie. And to make a scream without Wes was, A, a challenge, and B, doing it as fans of Wes, totally worth it and why it should have been done. So it was, like, our reason, our you know, the passion and Wes's guidance is is you know is the reason why we we made the movie a lot of the reason why we're all filmmakers to begin with um watching things like scream growing up it's like oh wow you can do both things that are scary and 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 also you can have a laugh at it it definitely marks our brand of of the genre and what we do and yeah his influence is throughout the movie so hopefully that shines through so what were some of your favorite horror movies or horror comedy so uh, that's a that's a great one well i mean you know i grew up in punxsutawney pennsylvania which you know isn't far from erie um i guess one of the first memories i have of like dealing with horror and stuff like that was when we used to go school clothes shopping um back when i was a kid in elementary school and we used to go to the Monroeville Mall in Pittsburgh, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And that was the mall where George Romero shot Dawn of the Dead. And I'm like, <laughs> then seeing it and like, wait a second, that mall is like, holy cow, there are zombies there. And being like 10 years old or, you know, <laughs> when I saw it for the first time at a friend's house through his older brother's collection of VHS tapes, it was like, oh, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. And you get into horror a little bit that way. Um, Scream is definitely one of the ones that, you know, infused the comedy for it. I was late to the party on Evil Dead, but Evil Dead 2 and you know, mm-hmm. all the Army of Darkness stuff I I adore and the Bruce Campbell stuff was just, you know, incredible. And then more recently things like Shaun of the Dead, you know, obviously comes to mind. Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Um that's what mm-hmm. I thought was absolutely brilliant and I laughed a lot about. And I, I you know, it's one of those movies that you just quote without even thinking about it and like because I use that, are you okay? Like line all the time. Like when a guy goes flying in, wood chipper and Alan Tudyk is just standing there with his legs. I'm like, oh, this is great. Um, but like, those are the, those are the types of moments and movies that, you know, you, you like to see the humor involved, but also how well everything's 
crafted and balled together where you get both like a jump scare at one moment and, and a laugh another time and you never know what it's going to be. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, you definitely have a have to have a dark sense of humor for sure. Oh, but... yeah. Yeah. Without question. <laughs> yeah, you definitely do. And, but the and, timing and like, of the comedy and the timing of, um, you know, the scares and the and the horror and I mean, you're kind of juggling two very difficult things at once just to pull off on their own. Right. So like to go right. all in on both of them. That's some yeah. skill. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's the fun. Right. I mean, that's like the fun. That's the challenge. And then also you have to hope that the people that are watching also have the same sensibilities or demented sensibilities that you do, because you don't know if it's going to land with everybody. And where you were talking about like dark humor, like when we started, we, we started more in comedy and then we quickly realized that a lot of our comedy include death or monsters or aliens or anything like that. And so our comedy got dark pretty quickly. And then we were like, now we're in this new genre and we have to figure out how to make things scary. And then the whole time we're pitching something like ready or not, for example, like nobody got the tone. No, mm-hmm. no one, like the entire town said no. And then we got this, Fox Searchlight, or was Fox Searchlight at the time, now it's Searchlight, Searchlight Pictures, and they, they finally got it. And I think the simplest way to put it is like we want to live in moments of tension where you don't know if it's going to end in a splat or a laugh and just let that tension take over and then craft those the same way, the sca- both the scares and the jokes, like keep them unexpected. Just stay in that moment of the tension with the characters, which will ground us a little bit and then also allow those moments to land harder, either if they are scary or comical. So did you go to Mercyhurst University for film production? No, I did not. I went to (laughs) Mercyhurst College uh, when I was there, and I went for uh, research in the Research and Intelligence Analyst Program, the RIAP program there, which is now Intelligence Studies. A little Um, different. It's a little different. Yeah, it's a little different. And uh, while I was there, I did an internship at the Attorney General's office in Erie for their Bureau of Narcotics Investigation and Drug Control. And one of the agents was like working undercover and I, I asked him what it was. And he was like, oh, you know, I'm just acting like a crackhead, not like a former army ranger. I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Well done. And then I took it <laughs> very literally and I took an acting class um, oh, wow. at Mercyhurst. And uh, my teacher there was Robert Michael Morris. He's passed away recently. He took a liking to me and cast me in a bunch of the plays, um, allowed me to audit all the theater classes without paying for them at Mercyhurst. And I was a little overachiever since I did the RIAP program. I had a poli-sci major. I had a minor in foreign languages where I took Spanish and Chinese. And then I also did theater like nonstop uh, on top of that. So it was a, it was a, yeah, I'm I'm much worse now. I, I really, I can, you know, I'm really thirsty, but I can't even multitask enough to pick this up and drink it right now um so so you devolve with age whatever um but but he allowed me to do all those classes and and act and definitely fell in love with acting he was one of the guy who did started sex in the city um he also taught him back in the day and after i left mercyhurst he called uh, michael morris and said hey i have the show coming up would you be in it and he was in, it was the comeback with Lisa Kudrow that was on HBO for a season or two. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, he played Mickey on that show. And uh, yeah, so that was like the small world connection and seeing him and his successes. I was like, all right, cool. This is this is fun. Let's let's try it out for full-time living and see how that goes. And uh, came out How did that go over originally? <laughs> oh, everybody was pissed. I mean, yeah, my parents were like, what the 
what the hell are you doing? Like, are you crazy? Because um, after after college, I did well, I did the intelligence thing for a little bit, you know, in, in college, and then after college, I got a great job at Exxon Mobil, um, working in their global securities group, doing mergers and acquisitions company research, and I was like, oh, this is cool. And I basically burnt out after a year and I hated it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to quit this incredibly well-paying corporate job and bartend in Pittsburgh and do theater productions for zero money and maybe get a radio commercial here and there and, and see how that goes. And I did that for four years, five years. I did a bunch of plays in Pittsburgh and then decided, hey, it's time to try something else out. And I moved to Los Angeles. And uh, yeah, that's it's kind of been history ever since that. First day in L.A., I was signed a lease in my apartment, went to an acting class that night and sat in a back row next to Matt, who I'm still sitting next to in this next room and <laughs> editing movies with. So I was like, all right, we'll figure it out. You know, as you go, there's no clear path. You just kind of figure it out as you go. Well, I have to give a shout out to Teresa, Teresa Villella, yes. um, who, it, what's your relation with Teresa? She is my aunt-in-law. Aunt She's married to my uncle. Yes. Yeah, I remember. So you and I were like the same age. And um, mm -hmm. Teresa, you know, I've been working at Edinburgh University uh, for a long time, like 20, over 20 years now. And she would always tell me about, you know, this relative that was making movies and, you know, like a every once in a while, just kind of peppering something in. Then one day she's like, yeah, he's making this one movie. Maybe you've seen it or something like Ready or Not. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, are, are you serious? Ready or not? Like, yeah, was, yeah, was so shout out to Teresa because um, she introduced us and, and Chad has been uh, very helpful. I just wanted to make sure and give Teresa a shout, a shout. And oh, I, thank you. And hi, Teresa, if you ever listen. <laughs> if you're hi, listening. Hi, Teresa, how are you? And, and my Uncle Dave and also Joey and Gina, their kids. Um, miss them. I haven't seen them in a while obviously because of the pandemic yeah, I haven't seen anybody just a lot of computers yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now we've gotten so used to like we do our podcast every monday night and this is how we do it yeah and we used to be in a podcast studio we were so worried about moving to zoom because we were worried about audio and everything but you know what the, po the podcast audio quality has been like totally all right i mean we've all transitioned to like mics and it's all right i do you know? have in the that's beer true. afterwards though you know i do that's, too yeah. yeah the social element is definitely lacking you know like that part yeah. of it but it's crazy how technology is like caught up to to that type of you know need yeah. but yeah I, I do miss the studio life a little bit like when you go in get into the sound booth and be like oh i can't even i can't hear anything else outside you know it's like right that's nice. you could really focus um <laughs> right well chad yeah. you're a bit of an og in the podcast world right what yeah when did <laughs> um <laughs> i mean when did you start i'm trying to think of the what's the timeline of chad matt and rob and the radio silence podcast i guess which one came first after you so, moved out to la yeah so chad matt and rob was first so that was when it was just me matt and rob but then when rob left the group we didn't know what to call ourselves so we basically were like taking a lot of meetings in town around town because the shorts garnered a little bit of attention they're like oh these guys know what they're doing they know how to film and 
get something to happen in front of the camera and make a story out of it. And we're like, all right, cool, let's keep doing that. But we would pitch these people, you know, while we're doing Chad, Matt and Rob, ideas for either a series or a movie or something like that, and then not hear back from them. And then we'd follow up and be like, hey, did you hear from so-and-so? We're like, nope, what about follow up with them? And like, try to follow up with them and be like, did you hear anything? Nope, radio fucking silence. And then (laughs) we're like, well, nobody calls us back at all ever. So let's just name ourselves radio silence and keep making our own thing. So then we came up with the name radio silence. It was me, Matt. You dropped the the fucking part. Yeah, no, of course. (laughs) Yeah, we, we, we could keep it. Uh, sometimes people use it either before or after um, in <laughs> reviews or whatever like that. They can, they can put the fuck wherever they want. <laughs> um, you know, it's u- user's choice. Yeah, and then well, when me, Matt, Tyler, who are still working together, Justin was with us. Then we did the movie Southbound, um, which is another indie movie that we made. And we're like, all right, cool. Let's get into the podcast game a little bit. And, Instead of do it with the above the line people, let's focus on below the line things. So we came up with the name The Crawl because it's like the end crawl of a movie. Like, let's go through the list of people who work on movies every day or production every day and talk to them. Um, And we ended up doing, I think, 10 episodes or so of The Crawl um, with us and our friend Tom Newell, who was our post-production supervisor on Southbound. And we shot in Tom's apartment and put up like blankets in you know the extra bedroom and uh we'd have guests come in from studio executives to copy editors to um editors to hair and makeup the galaxy san juan episode still my favorite she's also one of our dearest friends that's how we got into the podcast game for a little bit we haven't done another episode in a while but so hopefully we'll get back to it as soon as we're allowed to be in the same room again um since we don't want to do it via zoom since we're, we're on zoom all day and we're yeah. like, all right, cool. Let's do something. <laughs> so you go out to LA, you change trajectories uh, in your career pretty drastically. Um, I assume, I mean, did you have any connections when you first went out there or were you kind of on your no, own? Did you? No, none? zero. No, it was me and my dog, Harley, that came out here. And Harley, rest in peace, he died just a couple of years ago, was a three pound Yorkshire Terrier. So. <laughs> Oh my um, gosh. I, he just never grew. I don't know if I didn't feed him <laughs> right or what. He just stayed in, so tiny, but he had such an attitude and he was just my best friend for a little bit. And he'd always talk back to me and, and he was kind of a, like an asshole more or less, but uh, you know, his, <laughs> would he, he run lines with you? Did you run oh, lines? Yeah, no, he, or he'd just like growl at me and walk away and be like, shut up, stop running lines, you idiot. Um, <laughs> and go away. But then I'd be walking him down the street and I, he would never want to walk and he would just stop and fight me. And I'm like standing in the middle of the street with a leash and a three pound dog just backing up like this, like looking at me. And I'm like, you know, I could just do this and <laughs> pull you. But he wouldn't, he was, he was a little asshole. Um, but I loved him. But yeah. So it was just him and I moved out here and we're like, all right, cool. How do, what are we going to do? How are we going to yeah. do this? And uh, yeah. So what was the game plan? Class. Okay. So, so you went, you started with the acting class. Yeah, so I went to acting class um, and did a bunch of scenes, and that was fun, but I still missed theater. And Matt was writing at the time, and he took that to be able to write better. And I also was in Groundlings, uh, went through several you know, levels of Groundlings, and that's where I met Rob, um, Rob Polanski. And uh, it was just a, a matter of being like, A, I hate to audition, 
but I also want to act. So like, how do you, how do you figure out a way around that? Um, and then I was like, just make our own shit. It could be fun. Like if we just made our own stuff. So Matt, Rob, and I just started making videos and making shorts. And, you know, our very first video, there's only two people on camera at any given time because the third person was holding it. And that's kind of how we started. And you, you kind of figure out your way around a production pretty quickly when you have to do everything. Um, and we just let it grow from there. And uh, the very first short we made went like went viral for lack of a better word on myspace um and then we you know started the youtube channel as too and it did well there and we're like holy cow you know and we just kept making videos and putting our own money into it and seeing how we can grow and eventually we started working with tyler and he's from a cinematography background so he brought a more keen eye to it and uh, his our friend justin martinez who has a visual effects background and we're like wow we could put vfx into a youtube video this is like pretty wild let's just do that and we got a little office on melrose which was right above like a it's like a risque like dress shop and we're like in this one room up on top of above it and uh wait what do you mean risque dress i don't know shop? it was like it was like a dress leather shop. dresses John. Yeah, exactly. yeah. The leather dresses <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Whips, yeah, straps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Studs um, and straps. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Honestly, that, that was kind of the path. That was like, you know, and that, that's why the name Radio Science stuck when it was time to find a new name. It's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just do it ourselves and find a way to get things done and get things made. And we'll, we'll learn. We'll get better. Maybe we won't. But um, you just keep making it and making it something that would entertain yourself and hopefully somebody else will catch on you guys sort of were coming up through time particularly with myspace in the early years of uh, youtube where it was just like the world yet wasn't getting bombarded with content on the internet mm -hmm. uh, the way that it was and uh speak a little bit about those uh early days kind of i don't want you know it feels like it'd be cliche to call it the wild wild west of streaming but it was the early advent of it. we thought it was like the coolest thing ever we were like one of the top 100 most subscribed to on YouTube, like in 2007, 2008, to the, you know, into, maybe into 2009, but we only had like 100,000 subscribers. Um, now that that's what somebody gets in a weekend. Um, and the other thing about it too was knowing that this is this platform has become available where people can make something and get it out to the world. Knowing that it could, you have to have a very specific voice, or you have to catch somebody to watch your stuff in the first five seconds, or they're going to go look at a video about a cat. You know, you, you have to find a way to, A, tell your entire story in the first five seconds of the clip, you know, so you know exactly where you're coming in from and how to engage people that way. And we always wanted to make movies and get into, like, the bigger productions that way. Um, and then YouTube, just some reason, went down the talking head portal a little bit. Like, people just wanted to make videos of them talking directly into camera which is cool it is what it is those people make a lot of money and they have a lot of subscribers and stuff like that and we wanted just to take a little bit more time and make our shorts have both a narrative structure like even even the two minute videos have a three-act structure um even if our first five seconds are something that will happen that will probably catch you or take a trope and subvert it but like to find different ways to stand out that way uh, so a lot of things we did, like our early ones are prank videos that go bad, 
because prank videos were very popular on YouTube at that time. And people would always watch people get pranked. And we're like, well, let's do a prank video, except the real thing shows up at the end, you know? So we made the alien prank video where like we thought we, we could make it believe that a real alien showed up at the end and people would be like, wait, what did I just watch? And, you know, like we definitely grew up knowing what was going on in the YouTube world and knowing that it was this new platform for people to make things and get a voice out there and embracing it for what we wanted to create. And I think that's that was kind of kind of what I don't know why people watched our stuff but they did and then we kept making it so it was like that's that's kind of like part of the trial and error thing you guys were definitely cementing some of the foundations of the films that you do now early on yes. uh, un, un, unwittingly almost right well tonally for sure I mean that's definitely like the types of things we like you know both tonally and thematically that we approach and then the character wise grounding our characters is definitely like from those early prank videos because like what makes a prank video work is like they you have to be so grounded and so real to like real life to actually make because like a bad prank video doesn't work or a staged prank video doesn't work because then you immediately can smell that it's staged so that helped um both the performance level and the production value level as to how um something something evolved you know like the alien prank video is like very cool let's start you're just in bed and then we'll figure that out you know we did do several takes and it was just you know we, we took like the, the the ironing board getting hit in the head with the ironing board and stuff we think we did like 10 takes of that or something like it was <laughs> hard to get because you kept falling in the bathtub but you know you just you get it until it actually feels like it you know was a surprise and you weren't having fun and um going from there so which again what what the prank videos led us right into like the VHS of it all, because when you're doing found footage, you need to have that grounded, um, relatable character uh, characters in to make the craziness happen. When did you get into the whole, um, and who came up with the idea of kind of doing the choose your own adventure uh, style of the interactive? So the interactive thing, like, and honestly, that was all Rob Polanski because he was a YouTube, like, mega fan. So he was always on all the YouTube chat forums and trying to find out um, what it would do. Um, Matt and I were on the side as, like, we need to do a series because, like, web series is the new thing. Like, our standalone shorts are cool, but, like, if we could do a series, people understand that we know how to do television or features. And then Rob was like, well, we could do a choose your own adventure and i'm like well that's a great way to make 30 minutes of content but like parse it out into four or five minute segments mm -hmm. so it kind of feels like an you know you, you you inherently make you pull people into the rabbit hole with you um by giving them the choice at the end and you know we, we experimented with different ways to to go about what like what's the best way to engage audiences like that and like well we have protagonists let's kill them if they choose wrong because if it's just like go left or go right there's no consequences but if it's like you, you know fight or run and you choose to run and you survive that's cool if you choose to fight you get savagely murdered that's actually a little more interesting to watch like you know seeing your protagonist die and and uh so that that's when we did time machine and that was the first one and then the murder was like too big and too sprawling um and then birthday party which was the first thing we wrote, worked on with tyler and justin um 
Yeah, and then we did a teleporter and then uh, treasure hunt. And, mm-hmm. you know, those are the interactives. And then, you know, people have been trying to craft the interactive element of filmmaking for so long. And just now, like even the past six months, we read a script for the Choose Your Own Adventure movie um, that they offered to us to direct and we, we passed on it, which is mm-hmm. now kind of completely ironic thinking that's all we wanted to do but it was so 10 years ago for us and so brand new for everybody else and the story just wasn't it's just not there the Mm -hmm. consequences of the choices weren't there and it it became a gimmick and not a like let's go on this adventure with a protagonist it's a if you want a blue lightsaber or red lightsaber it's like all right cool that's a cool choice but i mean where's it go right story or with the characters has any, this is kind of a sidebar, but did anybody check out um, Soderbergh's mosaic that he did with Sharon Stone on HBO and the whole interactive kind of choose your own adventure thing? Did any of you guys do that? I did not. I keep forgetting that it exists. Yeah, no, I have not. I, yet. I've not no. no, I think I watched maybe the first segment Okay. and made one choice. And then I was like, eh, I don't uh-huh. have the interest enough to follow this. To the see last, this through. Yeah, the last one I did was the uh, the Netflix uh, Black Mirror one. Uh, Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I always thought with like DVD or Blu-ray um, or something like that. But I, I, yeah, I've never really seen anybody tackle it successfully, I guess. That's interesting. Yeah. But it, what I'm getting from you, Chad, is that, you know, when filmmakers are first starting out, it's always, uh, you know, you're doing it for fun. You're doing it with friends. Um, you're learning the craft, you know, as, as you go along, but you guys, it sounds like you always had in the back of your mind, you know, whether it was researching, like what was, you know, trendy, um, or, you know, ways of getting noticed. It seemed like you, you always kind of had that in the back of your minds of like, you know, what, what could we do to show off our skills, um, you know, kind of get the right team together to, and play to all of our, um, strengths with with a way of like yeah getting eyeballs on our work i mean and let's you've had like millions of views on on your stuff right so it's not like you know you guys were definitely um what you were doing was you were you were doing it successfully so um i think it's just interesting for you know filmmakers maybe starting out um that yes it's fun and you're with your friends and stuff like that but what's kind of like the end goal like you guys like you said you always wanted to make movies right you always wanted to make features and it sounds like you've always kept that in the back of your minds yeah no i mean it definitely does and and again we've just approached everything like fans Uh, like we're big fans of this type of thing we're big fans of you know just watching entertainment and consuming entertainment and seeing how you you know these new doorways open like youtube you know now you don't have to make a short film on 16 millimeter to get into a you know one festival maybe now you're like all right cool we can make things and put it out there and and go by trial and error and then a lot of the the concepts around it was a having the discussions as to what is going on in the world how do we make a comment on what's going on in the world and then how do we also use that to our advantage in terms of like being a backdoor to marketing if for lack of a better word it's like you know these things are trending right now we can make things on the cheap and get them out insanely quickly um, like in terms of the prank videos. Um, so let's use this wave while it's going right now and hopefully get it out there a little bit more. And then also just like being on the, like know, knowing what technologies are coming and knowing what things can be done. 
I think was something we always do the research on and we're always like up on our trades and knowing what's going on in the tech world and also seeing that seeing that convergence of tech and entertainment happen was like that was like the, the real magic of the early aughts like the you know in the like 2004 2005 2006 like that that everybody said it was coming but nobody quite knew how it was going to play out um and making it taking it from the user first the use the content user that is also a content creator um mentality is something that we definitely did because we were watching all the movies and we're watching um you know all, all the trades and figuring out how to bridge those two worlds and try to just why ride its wake you know even if we're not like on the front of the wave like it's it's coming it's going to happen like let's stick to the core elements of things that we love to do and you know talk about our narrative structure and talk about all the classical storytelling techniques um and how to bridge that now into into this digital age yeah so i mean hey it worked out like <laughs> I, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's still a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, how, how, if you can think back to then, what was the thing that got you noticed? Or was it, do you think that you got enough of an audience behind you that more people started noticing you and kind of came to you and you start getting on radars? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's a combo of both. You know, I mean, like we were fortunate enough, we went viral, for lack of a better word, on YouTube two different ways, right? So we did the prank gone wrong videos, which were, you know, the alien prank go, goes wrong. The Lone Pine Mountain Devil prank fails horribly is like the second one. And when we made that one, Matt pretended he was like a 13-year-old girl and sent it to Brad Miska at bloodydisgusting.com and saying, hey, here's a cool video. You should check this out. And Brad wrote back and he was like, it actually is a really cool video. Be honest. Are you the one that made it? And he's like, uh, no, no, but I could put you in touch with the people who did. And then that started the conversation with Brad and that got us, you know, VHS. Um, so uh -huh. that was the one path. And then the second way was the interactive adventures where we did a series of those. And then when we did the treasure hunt, Matt and I were just sitting and like, I was like at my desk in the computer and I was talking to Matt and we're like, we need a good villain for this thing. Like, who do we get? I'm like, I watched three amigos last night. We should get El Guapo. And, uh, we're like, oh, yeah, cool. Let's do that. So we got on IMDb Pro, looked up who his reps were, emailed her, and she emailed back like within a couple hours, like, he's in town next week if you want to meet him. Fuck yeah, we'll go meet El Guapo. <laughs> so we had lunch with him. And, and he, you know, that was like our biggest cost of that short was flying him up from Mexico City. The, the interactive venture things got us our, our representation. So that got us into the door with reps. So then when people started putting together that, hey, it was both you know, the same people, um, then they're like, all right, cool. They can do stuff. When we did VHS and we didn't know what it was going to be like, you know, we just wanted to do a found footage thing. We got, Brad Miska thought we were right because of the prank videos and we did it. And it was just by like luck or whatever that we got into Sundance. And that kind of just opens up a whole other world of, you know, being in front of the right people at the right time and everything. How was uh, VHS presented to you? How how much involvement did you have on on your? So settings? we were the we were the last group to come into it. So Adam Wingard, who's now doing Godzilla versus Kong, which comes out in a couple months, um, and Simon Barrett, who was his writing partner at the time, they did the wraparound and they were pitching it as just a punk rock found footage 
movie, you know, like building on what everybody did, you know, in Blair Witch Project and just building on that mythology and using the technology. And we're like, well, if it's called, like, if we're doing like a tape that is found, like we need to do something fun with it and keep the action up and the pacing up and keep everything moving. So we came up with our segment and it was always a Chad, Matt and Rob short. It was like, what happens if Chad, Matt and Rob go to think they're going to a Halloween party and it's actually a fucking exorcism, <laughs> which was with the concept of our short 103198. Um, but Rob already took another job. He took an adult job and he couldn't be around for filming. So we didn't have him in it. So it was, we got our buddy Paul Natonic to fill in for that role. But it, that was it. It was just like, hey, we're making, we're doing a bunch of shorts. We want to put it together and possibly sell it as like a found footage TV series or something like that. You know, and then we pitched our short and the crazy ending. They're like, wait, so wait, there's a train in it? And you guys are going to get on train tracks? Like, what, how are you going to do all this for like no money? And we're like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. Um, and it was all, you know, sound design. And we put a 2K light on a Toyota Tacoma and that was our train. You know, if you use sound design, right, it, it totally works like a train. That's um, clever. That's clever. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much um but uh yeah so that was it and then we were all getting burritos at a little burrito store in los Feliz, and uh, and roxanne benjamin and brad miska both called and they're like are you guys all together I'm like yeah put, put us on speaker and so they put us on speaker and like guys guess what what I'm like we got into sundance we're like congrats she's like no we all got into sundance for vhs i'm like oh that's awesome that's great and then uh so yeah so then that, that was sundance 2012 so yeah, nine years ago, since Sundance is happening right now. That's been our episode. Thank you to our guest, Chad Villela. Make sure you follow the Film Society of Northwestern PA and the Greater Erie Film Office on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain. <laughs>